Hi and welcome to Influencers Cafe. Today in the show, Michael Cobley. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fine, thanks. So it's a good privilege to have you on the show today because I'm I'm a fan. I've not started noticing his books uh, in sci-fi stores about 15, 10 or 15 years ago. And if you go to any decent sci-fi section of the store, you'll see his books there. And uh, it'll be a nice blue-coloured book and it'll say Seeds of Earth by Michael Cobley. That was my first, uh, the first space opera book, yeah. Yeah. So this book, uh, the first one, um, Seeds of Earth, it will take you a bit of a while to get into, but it sets the framework for a fantastic story where you're basically dealing with intergalactic civilizations, intergalactic politics, um, artificial intelligence uh, over millennia, and um, fantastic stuff. Go and get it. Treat yourself. Buy my book. Send this author to school. <laughs> so how did your whole journey with uh, sci-fi and writing get started? Um, uh, well, science fiction, I suppose. Um, I, the first first science fiction book I remember reading was Welcome to Mars by James Blish and... Uh, that was because my parents enrolled me in a uh, children's book club, uh, which was a British thing for for so long, and that was when I was nine, I think. And um, as for writing stuff, I remember writing some something, some sort of a weird sci-fi stuff when I was in school, and and when I was about fifteen or sixteen, and my my English teacher was. Uh, she said that I had a wonderfully uh, wide vocabulary, but I, I was I was wasting it by writing this science fiction rubbish. Dear me! <laughs> but I did catch up with her um, later on. After um, I can't remember when it was. I think it was after the the, the fantasy books came out in the two thousand two thousand one two three, and uh, and I gave her a copy of one of the books, and she was very pleased that that uh, I'd I'd, uh, I'd stuck with it and made it as it were. I can imagine my English teacher's face if I told him I was writing that writing books. She didn't say I had a, f- a flair for writing, or was it my mum? I think, yeah. I, my mum always told me I had a good imagination. I ha- actually started to try and write a science fiction book, but it's going to sit there for a, not doing much on uh, for over two years since I, I kind of stuck with writer's block. And uh, yeah, I picked a very hard theme. But, yeah, perhaps some of us. Some, 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 some writers are enviably free of it. Um, Ian Banks was never, never blocked. You know, he would, he'd, uh, he, he never had any problem getting words down on pages. Um, I usually find that when I when I've reached a block, it's because I've not actually thought through what I was what I'm actually sitting down to write, and I've I need to go back and replot or plot in more detail to us so I know exactly what it is I'm doing and that just usually sets me off again so what scares me for writing is like it's like you're going this direction in time one direction and then if you don't want to change something if you want to change something later on it can be hard to go back and change the plot that's what I'm worried like <laughs> if I spent hundreds and hundreds of hours and I don't like what I'm writing and it kind of just puts me on pause uh, well, I mean, you've got to be, you've got to be determined. You've got to have a, a, a game plan. I mean, if I write, I write 
when I wrote the 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 uh, Seeds of Earth trilogy, it was um, I found myself by the third book, I found myself really kind of uh, constrained by some of the things I'd done before in the previous two books. Yeah. So it was ghosts. So I was in a sense, I was almost, I was kind of dancing as fast as I could and hoping that uh, that uh, I was dazzling the, the the reader enough to sort of um, um, keep them entertained, as it were. You know. There's two characters in your book I absolutely love, and I'd love to see them put into a movie. There's that droid that sort of follows around, follows around that guy and protects him on that ship as he escapes from his evil, and there's that. AI biological thing that's buried beneath this lake for like millions of years and it awakens. Oh, God, just, I mean, there's so many characters in that book that I <laughs> can't quite quite remember the sort of the individual um, characters. It's, uh, it's a shocking thing to to confess, but it's but it's absolutely true. That was one of the one of the, the problems with those three books. I I I I, I was determined to do. Because um, I was heavily influenced by, at that point, by books like um, uh, George Martin's Game of Thrones, and but especially David Wingrove's um, Chunk Po series. And these are like gigantic epics with a cast of like dozens, you know. And I was kind of inspired. I was convinced that I could do this. I could do this, <laughs> and and I could do it, but I didn't quite pull it off as well as I hoped, you know. It was just. Um, the trouble is with uh, you've got to have a really good grasp of character if you're gonna if you're gonna throw a, a blizzard of different characters at a reader and um, and and I was I was I was doing my best I was doing my very best. I was, I was certainly I was, very uh, impressed because I kept I was just fascinated by your imagination by the complexities of this world that you had built. You know these these different um, this sort of hegemony organization that we're trying to influence. Earth, but not doing all right, all all right, um, all out war with them, and then you had all this stuff on the planet that was was quite complicated. A lot of characters there, so I can't. And I was finding it hard to yeah. keep up trying to remember all the characters. So I can't imagine what another one of those books that I haven't read or attempted to read, like Game of Thrones and, and whatever. Yeah, um, it was. I, I had a story to tell, and I was trying to tell it from different uh, different several. As many different viewpoints as, as the as I felt that the story needed, you know, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's I've said this before in, in other places that uh, at times the story almost felt as if it was writing itself, and I would get to certain points and 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 I suddenly I would get a revelation about what was going to happen in in the, the the like the second half of a book or how a book was going to end, and it was nothing I'd planned. Not certainly not consciously planned at all, but it was like it was a logical outcome of everything that I'd done up to that point, and um, it was an unplanned, unforeseen consequences. And 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 for a writer, that that kind of when that kind of thing happens, it's um, it's one of the pure delights of, I, of writing. Actually, I can relate to it. The the small amount of stuff that I have attempted to write before I stopped, it felt like I was it was in like a computer game, but it was much more fun because I was creating this world for complete freedom and it was like and because I didn't know how the plot would have, was going to go while I was writing it I felt like I was in this game and this world sort of became alive you know that's 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 like a that's that's a, a metaphor for for writing that 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 I don't think um we're the first writers in history that have that metaphor to draw on 
you know, I mean, all, I, no other writer before before um, like games, uh, computer games came along, of being able to actually think about about uh, story in that manner, and yeah. have it always as part of the part of the the store of things to draw upon, you know. Yeah. It's a lot like experience. It's almost as as fun as listening. Probably even more fun than listening to a a good audio book. But what what I think, if I was to actually pull this off, I would have to really focus on it, like dedicate myself to it, because you have to, your brain sort of has to have RAM and all the current information of the plot and all the words that you've written has to be sort of available before you. When you're writing new things, I find, or does it, or you can, or can you just sort of do it part time, write a, a complicated plot and story? Sorry, run, run that past me again. So, do do you find that in order to write a to be a successful author, you have to do it full time, or can you do it part time? Oh, I mean, my experience is 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 unique to me. I, I, um, I suppose I'm lucky in in that. Um, I've been able to pull it off as, as a as a full time writing gigs since um, since when really since about um, two thousand and five two thousand and six. I mean, my first books were the Shadow Kings books, which came out in two thousand two thousand and one, and I got a really large, tasty um, um, advance for those books, enough for me to go part time because I was working in a call center at the time, and um, and then I got involved with uh, someone in Moldova. I moved out to Moldova, and that was a whole weird sidetrack of my life, which kind of weirdly led me to writing the Seeds of Earth books eventually. So, um, so I got a, a decent advance for them. And I was by that point, I was, <clears throat> I was, I was, I was working in, I was working in Blockbuster. Would you believe? <laughs> In, in in Glasgow and Partick, I was working in uh, Blockbuster, the 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 as was just Blockbuster DVD as it was then, and uh, sort of um, shuffling between their the Partick store and their and the Govan store, and then when I got when I sold the 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 the, the Seeds of Earth books, I was basically able to go full time then. So I've been able to sort of hold that down as a single as a, a full time thing um, since then, but I've been very lucky in that. My my partner, she has a full time job, yeah. so I don't think I could do that. My if I was living on my own, I have to be completely honest. So you've been an author before pre Amazon and pre Kindle, in particular. Yes. Kindle. So can you can you let us know what it was like life, what life is like before the Amazon Kindle stuff happened and after? Um, I mean, I mean, but prior before, before, I mean, I was yeah, I was working, I was working. I was writing fiction and getting published before the internet came along, and um, uh, like myself and and uh, I don't know if you know a writer called Bill King. Nope. Never heard of Bill King. He's basically Bill. Bill is uh, he's uh, he writes uh, fantasy and science fiction, and he's he worked for Games Workshop. Okay. For a long for, for quite a while. Yeah, I know and, Bill. I know Games um, Workshop. Yeah. So Bill's written a, written a whole bunch of novels and short and stories for them. As well as writing his own stuff as well, uh, but I got to know him in 1988, and uh, I mean, we were talking. We were heavily into cyberpunk at the time, and uh, and he was saying, you know, our generation of writers were probably the first generation that's had that's had to go from longhand and writing on type on manual typewriters, and then later on in our career actually working with 
word processors and and working on the web. So I mean, I mean, uh, the writers that come after us are probably much more clued into like they take as as that you know the uh, the digital world as the base reality, whereas we have we have uh, our, our legacy memories from from uh, from the, the the Stone Age as it was it were. I wonder but, if uh, but, yeah. But, say again. I wonder if the quality of writing how it will change when with these new generations that have been brought up in IT and instant entertainments and Netflix and games compared to mm. author before that time. It's difficult to say. I mean, um, I think the num. I mean, pre 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 web. I mean, I mean the uh, the number of numbers of profession number of professional writers was was a lot smaller than it is now, and uh, and it was a lot smaller. It was a, it was a smaller world. The, the fan world was a lot was a lot smaller. I mean, it was one point when I was before I got started to be published. I was I was writing. Um, uh, some fan crit- critical stuff, and uh, I'd put out my own um, one-page photocopied um, um, sort of um, sort of anonymous um, critical sheet called Shark Tactics, and I had a I had a, a mailing list of about I don't know about forty or fifty of um, like. Key people and editors and writers in British SF. Whereas, if I was to do that today, my the mailing list would be in the hundreds, yeah. if, if not thousands. You know, yeah. And uh, even at, even at that time, I mean, the number of books that were being published were a lot less than they are now. You could, you could uh, it was actually possible to actually keep up with with almost everything that was being published in in SF and fantasy. But that, that's absolutely no way that you can do that now. Um, and also the games, the you know, uh, the, the games industry didn't exist the way it does the way it does now, as well. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a, a huge quantity of stuff, of uh, of, uh, of published stuff, self-published stuff, um, uh, you know, fan um, fan writing and, uh, and slash fan writing. Um, as Bill said, uh, Bill said to me once. Uh, he said to me, "You know, uh, quantity has a quality all of its own." <laughs> so, how do you find that your writing style and abilities change over the years? Uh, I think I'm, I think I'm more confident in in being able to. Uh, I think I have more confidence in in describing describing a scene in uh, much 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 le- using much less wordage than I used to. Um, for me, I mean, at one point, um, I was really into the specificity of detail, and uh, and and at times I could go, I could get a, get a bit sort of um, you know, a bit too much of it. It's a bit like marzipan, you know. So I'm a bit more confident about about being able to. Distill that down a bit more, and I'm and I'm more confident about um, about uh, about how to get um, character across as well, um, and also you know allowing allowing the, allowing a character to sort of um, to speak for themselves a little bit, 
I mean, I always feel that characters are are, are basically um, recruits in my army, and they have to do what they're told, basically. <laughs> um, but uh, but um, certainly the, the last couple of books um, and the stuff I'd been I was wrote, reading, writing last year uh, definitely felt as if characters were were definitely speaking almost speaking for themselves, which is an unusual experience for me. Yeah, my, my little experience of writing, I found that it's it's a really different part of my brain to use than writing software. And it's going to take a while for me to, to develop this so that I can make genuine sounding characters. Um, but I, 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 I guess of... I just have to put pen to paper and, you know, focus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the, I mean, focus, I mean, in, yeah, you need time, you need to focus. But also, you, you need a certain, you know, a certain amount of success, which is why, you know, aiming at something, you know, something, something, you know, doing short stories um, is, is, uh, it's not just great practice, but it's great practice at feeling good about having finished something. Right, I see. You know, I mean, I mean, actually, the the, the feeling. I mean, it's. I mean, I was, like I said, I, I was. I, I've been. I've been working on some space opera stuff last year, and um, and it's just after a lot of uh, soul searching, I've decided to shelve it because it's not really. You know, it's not feeling. It's, I'm not really my sort of mental sort of feeling about myself has shifted since, since last year. And with the, you know, I lost my parents yeah, and uh, yeah. the whole COVID-19 thing as well as has made me sort year, of stop. Yeah, like... So, I mean, so yeah, so I mean, I put the, I put the, the I put, I've shelved this, the, the, the sci-fi and stuff for just now. And I'm working on a, a new sort of fantasy thing, um, which I'm feeling, feeling quite good about as well. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, you need to have a. I mean, that re- require. I'm always. You have to sort of almost go through a certain, a certain feeling of, well, I'm not going to be able to write and finish this book after all. So, so I'll mourn it later and put it on the shelf. Um, but um, it's. Uh, I, I, I really, I really like writing short stories, and I write so few of them these days. Um, I do have a short story coming out at the end of this year, apparently. Uh, hopefully. But yes, the, the the feeling of of uh, when you're at the beginning of of your career, I mean, the feeling of actually writing short stories and finishing them, you can actually see how you, how you're how you you can see how you or yourself are are handling the uh, the whole beginning middle end process, and and I can you can you can get some idea of of uh, where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are if you've got something that's finished to look at, and more importantly for other people to look at. Yeah, that's that's good advice. Thanks, thanks very much for for that. I'm, I feel inspired here. That uh... yes, do it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm not really sure whether I like fantasy more than sci-fi because I did. I love the Lord of the Rings. I love the Hobbit. I love the whole Narnia chronicle. Um, you know, so. But a lot of sci-fi things I start, but I'll stop because they just get really kind of adult, and it's like I don't, I don't really need to have all this sex and violence and and, and grotesque stuff. I, I like you can have a good story with without that. So I find a lot of sci-fi just goes down that route. And what's one of the reasons I really liked your book is that it was kind of family friendly. 
you know. All right. Seeds of Earth one. So. Yeah, I, I don't object to to to, to writers um, using using sex in their books, but I just feel what there has to be a sort of a, a, an actual reason for it rather than it being a kind of a sort of a gratuitous move, you know. I've I I don't I've not I've not used sex in my books because I just 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 on a personal level it just feels kind of weird. Yeah, I feel un, sort of vaguely uncomfortable writing about it. Um, but not to say that I might find at some other point where I might feel that I've got a story to write and you know a, a sex scene is absolutely crucial to some aspect that has to be got across. Then I would just have to bite the bullet and get on with it, I suppose. Sometimes I'm reading a book <laughs> and I just feel like somebody had a wanted to just put on paper his fantasy and, and like I don't want to read this stuff. You know, it's uh-huh. like play out of con- context of the of the storyline. You know, like. Yeah, yeah. It's like I don't. Uh, some, we don't. I feel like people try to add all the stuff in to make the book sell more or more exciting. But look at Tolkien's work. It's like there's none of that in there. So I mean, it's still an excellent storyline. Oh yeah, but he was from and that that, that post World War One generation of academics. You know, sex is the last thing you'd find in any of his, in any of their books. You know. Yeah. So can you tell us anything a little bit about your, what you're planning with fantasy, or I guess it's kind of secrets? <laughs> um, uh, it's a kind of a... It's, a lot of my, my my sort of big stories seem to be... Um, um, someone pointed out that... It was Neil Williamson, actually, he pointed out that, um, that uh, I seem to write a lot of... Uh, um, things that ha- stories that happen after a catastrophe or a disaster of some kind, mm-hmm. and this fantasy novel is no different. I must admit. So, so it's a it's kind of a sort of um, um, a kind of a, a fantasy version of Fall of Empire, as it were, and uh, and uh, a, you know, a massive catastrophe has overtaken this this fantasy world, and um, this is what's happening in the aftermath, and. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm in. I suppose in a way, I'm. I'm for this this book. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm influenced by. Um, I suppose uh, George Martin's Game of Thrones a bit in terms of the like the clan politics, and um, and certainly by. Um, I'm looking to people like Joe Abercrombie in terms of the, the sort of the. Um, the the grittiness of the character and uh, and. Um, the, the sort of more sort of natural feel of dialogue that I want to I want to get across as well, because mm-hmm. uh, Abercrombie's uh, stuff is is just top notch for me. How do you make dialogue feel natural in a book? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Never use the words like um, uh, he he scowled, he grim- grimaced, he 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 basically. The, the, when, when you talk when when, when you have dialogue, you should, the only word you should use at, in during the dialogue is either he said or she said. Yeah. And almost anything else like growl or sniff or moan. <laughs> he vomited. Like that. He vomited. <laughs> he, he he ejaculated. You know. I mean, all these things are are are, use, are useless and they get in the way. They just they they they're like um, garlic in the fridge. They can they kind of overwhelm. The um, sort of the uh, 
the sort of the word word senses of the readers it were so i mean um, so he said she said it's, it's fine i mean the actual um i mean writing good dialogue is is almost like poetry you have to understand how um the cadence of people's speech and uh, how people really speak but i mean i mean someone pointed out that um if we did an actual very similitude, you know, word by word transcription of of how people actually speak, it would be full of errors and ums and stops and 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 pauses and yeah. and, and scratch, especially me and, talking and, and, and repeating words, you know, and all that kind of thing. So, I mean, what we're no, it's not for it. What we're trying to do with 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 good dialogue is 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 somewhere in between that and the kind of sort of um. That stiff formal dialogue that uh, that um, well that isn't that isn't very sort of very isn't very expressive as it were you know um, it's difficult to sort of get it across without um, showing an example. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, What's the rules with when you have to write? He said or he shouted or he grimaced when he. Ha- do you have to write it after every sentence, or can you sort of avoid that? Well, if it's if it depends on how many people are in the room. If you've got two people that are two people talking to one another, then then um, if you're doing a, a long dialogue passage, then there's I mean, you, you, I mean, apart from people like like um, like uh, like the 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 thirties and forties noir writers who could. Um, uh, I mean, I've read some of this stuff, and it's it's all dialogue, you know, and it's it's like um, they 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 could get away with um, an an entire page where where the dialogue itself that that's, that they assigned to like one character is is so expressive of the character you cannot you cannot miss about which character is being yeah. re- being referred to by just by the words you're reading on the page. But I mean, mostly when you're writing is that. Is blah 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 blah. He 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 paused. Uh, blah 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 blah. Or then or, I mean, if you're two people that are talking to one another, then the the mention of he said or she said, like every three or four lines is is enough because yeah. the reader reading it should pick up from what's being said and how it's being said as to who is talking at any one point. Yeah, yeah. But when you got more, when you got more more than more than. Uh, uh, two people involved. That's when it gets a wee bit dicey, and you got to, to you got to flag it up, to 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 make it clear about uh, who, to make it absolutely clear to the reader who's saying. Because the last thing you want is the reader to be confused. Yeah, a yeah. confused reader is not getting the point, and therefore is, is missing out in the story. You know. So I've also listened to quite a lot of audio drama, and one advantage of audio drama is that you don't have to say he said. Or she said, or whatever, because you just hear it. Aye. So that's yeah. where I find that there's a there's a set of competitor here to t- traditional fiction writing. You've got this audio medium where you don't have to you don't have to like in a in an audio drama. You can be walking down a dark corridor, you hear the footsteps, you hear noises, and, and you don't have to explain everything. So the the listener can sort of get more experience in a shorter amount of time. But there also are some some sort of disadvantages with audio drama, like um, 
there was an X-Men autodrama where they were when when the the author is describing the movements of the characters and all that kind of things, it doesn't listen to as well as it is when it's written down in a sort of uh, yeah, yeah. descriptive manner. So there's sort of a a medium here of certain stories that do fit well into audio drama verses. I don't know. What do you think about the uh, the advantages of audio drama? I don't know. I mean, I've I've um, I've not been drawn to to audiobooks, um, despite the fact that like most of my books have have, have become audiobooks at one point or another. And my partner Susan, she listens to a lot of audiobooks. Um, and um, I think from what she says, most of the time, I mean, they are a straight transcript of what is written on the page. Um, and I think a lot of that time it is down to the it's down to the skill of the narrator, and also. Um, I think down to the amount of uh, money they're actually they actually plow into it, they can have additional, um, like you know, s- studio production values and and uh, you know, uh, you know, extra sound effects and all that kind of jazz. Yeah, like the book of the Dune, the best production I've ever heard of um, fully unabridged audio transcription of of novels was the Dune series, and they had about ten characters. And also some music, but not actually sound effects. The difference, what I'm trying to get to between unabridged transcription of of novels versus audio drama, is that this audio drama genre is never written for paper. It's only for the audio medium. So they have, uh, it's they omit a lot of stuff that you would use to describe the sounds of footsteps and wind and noise. You actually hear everything. So the, the author, the narrator, is not actually explaining what. As much as possible, what much. you're going to experience in the story. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a almost completely uh, different way of writing. I suppose so. Um, <laughs> I don't know how some of my things come across as as audiobooks. Uh, I've been told that that my the the, the narrators from my some of my stuff have been have been very good, but. Um, then I then I've, I've listened to one or two. And I think, oh, is that what my stuff really sounds like coming out of someone else's mouth? How weird! Very strange. Yeah, I'm not sure I if a complicated book would be do up. But mind you, the Dune series was okay in audio books. But I found myself having to write down the names because I couldn't see the names and I couldn't remember them sometimes. Uh huh. But yeah, I think your I think your book. I've not listened to your audiobook, but your story should be fine for audiobooks. I also listen to a lot of audiobooks. I listened to the whole of the Kit of Monte Cristo on audio books. Wow. That's a long book. That's about a thousand as long as a Bible almost, if not longer. Well not as long as a Bible, can't be. Uh, well, but the well the, the Kent of Monte Cristo by by Dumas. Yeah. As and that's a really big book. I'd... Have you read the have Didn't... you read the Quentin Monte Cristo? I've never read it, no. Yeah. The audiobooks it's it's a very slow build up, um, but it's 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 worth it. It's a very unique book for sure. <laughs> uh, right. How how are you how are you finding this whole situation being locked down in Scotland? I mean, I'm, I'm I've been in Scotland since since it started, and I'm kind of worried about people there, you know. So. Um. 
I don't know. I think the I think the the death toll in in Scotland is per head of you know per thousand head of population is lower than it is in England. But <clears throat> there's been all kinds of sort of um um uh. Doubts raised about uh, why aren't um, res- you know the the figures from care homes being in, included in the overall numbers? So I mean, which is what they've been doing with the the UK numbers as well. That's um, weird. It is very weird. I mean, I mean, um, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's a it's a very it's a very odd feeling. I mean, we. Uh, Susan went out to to get some some food from Asda today, and they're still they're operating um, uh, one in one out. So you know you go up to the up to the 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 store, and there's a, a long queue like going back into the car park, and, and um, so basically they're just sort of um, I mean because I mean there's there's no mass testing going on, so no one knows who's got it, who's had it. And 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 how to proceed from there, and I can't see us can't see any any um, uh, early end to the lockdown unless we actually start doing doing uh, mass testing, and um, and the conservative government is just completely uh, just in, incompetent and evil. That's the word. <laughs> I'm a member of the Tories, so, yeah. by the way. Hey, <laughs> I'm a member of the Tories. You really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I've got, okay. I'm, I'm okay. part of the uh, executive committee down in uh, Sands End in Fulham. Wow, you've got your your work out then. I've not been there for like <laughs> a month, and I, and uh, I, actually, I've just got a bunch of friends there, and it's, for me, it's a social thing. That rather than, uh, I'm, I'm actually still young enough that my Political persuasions are still being like swayed left and right or centre. I mean, so I mean, I have people on here that are very left and on here that are very right. Yeah, I start I started out on the right. My my parents were um, uh, we used to call them blue nose Tories, and uh, and I was I was brought up as a Tory, so to speak, and uh, and I joined the Tory when I was in my early twenties. Uh, joined the Conservative Party at, at Strathclyde Uni. Um, so we went to the same and, uni as well. So good. You're at Strathclyde. Yeah, man. Oh, we, that's right. I spent five yeah, years yeah. there. Yeah. So I mean, so yes, I was a member of Strathclyde Conservative Party, uh, Conservative Association for all of like two or three years, I think. Uh, and then I realised that they were a bunch of idiots, and uh, and I went off to write a. a um, uh, a, a column for the for the Strathclyde Telegraph for for a couple of years while I was like writing short stories and trying to get published. Um, and then around about like eighty eight was it? I think eighty seven, eighty eight. I joined the I joined the SDP of all things, and uh, and stayed with with the party with when it went to the the. the uh, uh, the merger with the Liberals and became the Liberal Democrats. So I was like, I found a member of the Liberal Democrats, would you believe? And uh, stayed with them until uh, until after Nick Clegg 
after the the coalition anyway. So, yeah, at the end of the coalition, I'd I'd let my party membership lapse, and then um, Jeremy Corbyn came along, and I thought he's saying all the things that I've been thinking. So I joined the Labour Party. Good on you. So there you go. I'll, Good I'll, on I'll, you. I'll, I'll, Not a casual observer. I'm not likely to go anywhere any further to the left. I'll have to say this <laughs> to be absolutely clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm more sort of a not a non-Marxist radical socialist is, is how I describe myself. Mm-hmm. Well, here in Vienna, we're allowed to go into the shops. We just have to wear a mask. Compulsory wear a mask. Uh huh. So did I don't they, understand did, why they're chewing outside in Scotland. You're just, long, you're just exposed for longer, as far as I'm concerned. There it doesn't make any sense. I know. Why? Do they have? I mean, what's the, what the provision for? Uh, I mean, do you have to buy buy a mask, or are they freely available? Well, they, they actually, the, there's a guy, an employee outside the store, and he has a bucket of hand sanitizer or spray, and he's everybody has to take in these uh, trolleys, and he's, they actually wipe the trolley every uh-huh. time, and they give you a mask if you don't have a mask. They just give you a mask. That's Austria for you. Very impressive. Wow. And we've only had, as bad as it is, 350 um, tragic deaths here. In Austria, in, in total? Yep. And today we're opening up a lot of shops. God. Are they, are they doing mass testing in, in Austria? Nope. How are they managing it then? I mean, are they just basically saying I just saying got that... here as soon as lot before, just before it shut down the borders. So, uh huh. Are they basically saying that if people have been indoors for X amount of time, then they must be clear of it and we just and doing know, it that I, way? I, I go out cycling, and the place is full of people, like all people at the parks, sunbathing, and whatever. You, if I go a walk, if I go a walk or a cycle down to the river, and I like uh-huh. yesterday, it was all, people's places were so busy. Good grief! Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is, I mean, I mean, I was sixty last year, and and unfortunately, I am overweight, which is like two like um, uh, warning signs. So I mean, it's I mean, I mean, I I I, I had I came out, I had a a really nasty sort of um, gastric problem. On the first week of the lockdown here, which is like three weeks ago, which uh, and I had a I was running a temperature, and I had the I had the sweats for one night, and then the the whole the sort of stomach problem went away after five days. So I don't know if I've had it. If I've had Jeez, a really man, mild you've been, you've been through some stuff this year. So I mean, I don't know if I've had it. I mean, also in <laughs> as well as that, when in the, from November through to the end of February. I must have had uh, repeat. I mean, you know this from from our our, yeah. our emails back and forth that I've been like nonstop ill with this or that or uh, um, bad coughs and uh, and uh, nothing that went down into my chest, luckily. But um, so I mean, it's I don't know if that means that my uh, my 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 own bloodstream antibodies are are like. Arnie Schwarzenegger and they're ready to kick the butt of anything that comes near me, but mm-hmm. there's no way to know that. There's no one's there's no one's testing any bugger here. You know, I'm 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 very reluctant to 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 hold to go out anywhere near crowds because that could mean a death sentence for me. 
Yeah. It's just um So that's the kind of sort of situation that we're in. We we're that we we just nobody knows where, where where who's got it and where all the clusters are and and really what 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 kind of pro what kind of plan or process is gonna get us out of it at some point. Yeah. And just before just oh, before we I'm... left London we were still working in the offices. <laughs> Aye, aye. And then things go bad quick. I mean, even the last time I was in Scotland, I went to, I was, I was, uh, I was in Scotland for one or two weeks before I left London to come to Vienna. And then uh, I was in, I was in Costa. I just had my coffee walking about the town centre on East Kilbride and nobody really cared. And I was like, most to my friends in London, look at the shelves here, you know, like and all that stuff. But then again, <laughs> it happened in Scotland as well, you know, so... Aye, aye. Yes, it's it's pretty grim all round. Yeah. Anyway, on that happy note. <laughs> yes, we've got a you've got a movie to watch, and I've got some sushi on the way. Home delivery. You got some? Oh, you got some what on the way? I've got a sushi order. Oh right, right. Okay. Not a fan of sushi myself, but you know I've not really had that chance to eat much of it, so I don't know. Yeah. But I was going to ask you. I mean, are you a game fan? Uh, do you like? I, I do like playing games. Is it, is, are you console or PC? Uh, mostly, or mostly, or? mostly PC or console for some for my friends' place. All right. So what what's hot on your machine right now then? Well, I, it's what's hotly been uninstalled and blocked from my machine. I used to play World of Tanks right. quite a lot. Oh, World of Tanks. Yeah. Right. I've seen I've seen like, uh, like adverts for that. It looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. Is, it, is, is it is it basically a blastathon, or are they, or does it, there more to it than that? Well, tanks. No, it's a very. It's basically you drive tanks around the map and shoot other tanks. That's pretty much all that's all there is to it. It's very popular with people that are not so young that they have to have the reaction times of a of a fly. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's uh, people like because you just basically go on on the Discord and and talk to your friends from driving a tank out and shooting everybody. But what's what's interesting about it is they actually have thought about armor, and uh, it's they've, they've put quite a lot of scientific thought into like depending on where you hit in the tank, and it depends whether or not the bullet penetrates into the, the metal. Um, uh-huh. But it's very much it's got a it's very much um, pay to to win kind of stuff. So you have to. They always encourage you to pay uh-huh. money, and right. I actually, I actually phoned Wargaming and asked them to delete my delete my account because I couldn't stop playing it. That was about two years ago. But because I, I find it hard to stop playing them, I also have blocks on my computer, so I use this thing in the Mac called Self Control, and I currently have a two hour, two hundred hour block from any of those games. So otherwise, oh, wow. cause, I mean, I actually have to, I talked to a guy on here about quitting games. He actually runs a website or helps runs a company called Game Quitters. And um, there's actually a community of people that are quite vulnerable to gaming addiction, and I probably class myself as one that is vulnerable to that. Wow! Because even okay. even, even in, as an adult, I've had lapses where I'll sit and put the mobile on, and I'll play from eight o'clock to four o'clock in the morning, and I'll realise, hey, this is not good for me. <laughs> oh, that's a level of dedication I can't match. I've had my, I've had my. Uh... I've had my spells, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. A few years ago, I mean, I was, uh, 
I was absolutely hooked on um, on uh, like early uh, real time strategies like uh, like the early June games and uh, Command and Conquer. Yeah, yeah, I used to play them quite a bit. Yeah, and and I just ah uh, just yeah yeah yeah. Did you play that, them online an or was it just missions? Oh, it's just uh, just sort of um, you know just missions with the with the with the the game itself. Yeah, but I know I got. We did some online gaming with um, with some of the sort of the uh, um, um, God, I can't even remember what the ones that we played. We played, we, me and Sue played several of uh, the big uh, sort of online uh, games. Some ones that originated in Taiwan and and, and Korea, uh, but it it felt as if you were trying to you're trying to 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 get on with a storyline while bunches of other people were. Were, were doing their same thing at the same time, and it felt like you were trying to sort of have a, a, a an adventure in the middle of everyone else's adventure, and it was very very strange um, uh, yeah. experience. I thought. Yeah, I've got I've got to be be uh, careful with games like like an alcoholic or a drug addict have to has to be careful with cocaine or whiskey. It's like for me, it's like I I can if I play games I can and I used to be very good at them. I used to I had an Xbox before everybody else. And I used to. Come this cut them out and I just thrash them all, <laughs> right? But I couldn't be a, a successful programmer and podcaster if I was playing games all day. So it's just for me a decision: like, do I sit and play yeah. this game for a couple of hours, or do I learn something and do a podcast? Because you know it takes two or three hours to do a podcast for me. So I just yeah. make a decision. I, I I have to have a full time job and and I I, you know, I have a family and you know, relationships. So what what what's more important to me? And I have to say like computer games are at the bottom of the pile and I have the the tools and 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 uh foresight to, to not let it be, defeat me, you know. It's just a very maybe probably negative way to look at things, but uh, yeah, I do enjoy playing games. But I don't enjoy how they make me feel in real life. Yeah, I get I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Yeah, yes. Yes uh, that's it. That's like that old uh, Marilyn Manson song. I don't like the drugs, but the drugs, the drugs like me. <laughs> I feel like I'm preaching to people about this computer games thing, but yeah, it's just I like to just. Oh, no, I know. Totally I can't understand. say I like games and not say that I'm not playing them because I don't want to. Because it's it is a sacrifice I've made that to not play these games like I could play them. Aye. Yeah, that sounds. Uh, I was playing The Witcher Three recently, and uh, I just realised I had to put it down, otherwise I was going to get nothing done. Yeah. So I uninstalled it a couple of days ago, and, and yeah, on, yeah. me is jonesing for a little bit of Witcher action, but no, not going back to it. So, so un- un- uninstalling is only uninstalling is only twenty percent of the way there. If you really want to avoid it, you have to get contact the games company to delete your data, and if they don't delete your data, threaten them with GDPR lawsuits. <laughs> you know. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there is that as well. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> the amount of times I've deleted a game from a phone and played it, reinstalled it, and I've, I've one particular game, I must have uninstalled it 20 times and then reinstalled it after I'll just play a little bit. And then I actually contacted the developer and told them to delete the data. And then it's like, okay, I'm not going to spend the next another 300 hours building up that account. Man. Yes, well. A solitary lesson. Yes. And all the, all the gamers so, that listen to this podcast are horrified right now. It's like, Nico, how could you say that to me? 
So, what's what's next for you after me? In terms of podcast? Yeah. Oh, yeah, so this will probably go out in about four days or something. Uh, I have a, a video games composer coming on, <laughs> believe it or not, who actually wrote the Sonic the Hedgehog music. So, <clears throat> that's just, yeah. That's interesting because I do listen, I do listen to retro games music when I'm programming sometimes because it just relaxes me. So this is oh, also yeah, one of the yeah, yeah. guys that wrote that, and uh, I won't. I don't tend to give people's names away before I before the right. the, the show comes on. Um, just to, I don't know, not a rule I have. I just like don't just want to let people be surprised every episode. But uh, there's quite a yeah. variety of people on this podcast and. Uh, I mean, I did take a nine-month break on this podcast where I was, like, in no man's land. Like, I just didn't have the... For whatever reason, I stopped, stopped doing, the, doing the show. But when I uh-huh. did another episode and put it on, the, the amount of listeners that I got was three times, three or four times higher. So, obviously, that nine months, people were actually still... They must have subscribed and not unsubscribed or they must have gained, gained some interest. So, that really encouraged me. So, I thought, yeah, let's just keep doing this. So will you be able to send me a link that I can um, link on my Facebook page? Sure, yeah. We will be able to listen link. to this on, on Spotify or iTunes. And if anyone's on iTunes, any, any reviews on iTunes are, would be so helpful. And I'll, I'll read them out loud if they want <laughs> in the text. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. I've got... Um, I wonder if you'd be... Would you be interested in uh, in doing a, doing a an interview with a buddy of mine who's a... Basically, Stuart is. I've known Stuart since we were twelve, and he's um he's a, a, a kind of a a retired civil servant who's an electronic um, musician. Sure, yeah, Andy, just... Andy, 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 he, he's he's just about to finish an album, his sixty-first album, believe it or not. Nice. And, uh, and and I mean, he's been doing doing music as long as we've been mates, basically. So. So I mean, Stuart's always uh, a very knowledgeable guy on on a whole range of topics. And always, always, and uh, he's always worth talking to. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't. He's not a lecturer. He doesn't lecture you, if you know what I mean. I love he, music. I'm a, I'm a musician myself. So, all right. I've uh, I used to play the piano a long time ago. You're still a pianist, then. You know, once a pianist, uh, you're still a pianist. I suppose it's part. Pianist, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like part of my brain is still, um, still sort of coded for piano, I guess. But, I'm, I mean, looking I, to, I I'm looking to buy a. I'm looking to get an, a Korg Micro Key Two, and it's Bluetooth, so it allows me to connect to the phone and play on the move. So sometimes I oh, like man. to. Take, yeah, yeah. It's about hundred forty dollars. A bit steep, but uh, basically what I can do is I can put my backpack, jump on the bike, cycle down to the lake. And sit there in the sun and play some jazz on the on my right hand and stuff. Like that. <laughs> if you see, if you talk to Stuart about that, he will know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I'll, I'll 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 talk to him and and, and put the two of you in contact. Then how about, how about that? Yeah, sure. Okay then. So uh, yeah, man. So anything else you want to share for our audience before we um, wrap up part one? Um. Yeah, well, I can say I'm just, just. It's like, like this whole COVID thing is like basically an endurance race. 
erase them. It's sort of just like it's just um, it's going to change a lot of people's lives in, in in some ways, but other people's lives won't change at all. I think once we come out the other end of it, um, I think things will never um, be the same. Eh? I think things will never be the same. Yeah, I think that I mean certainly that I mean I mean we won't we won't look at national health in the same way ever as as we did before. Yeah, America needs to have I mean, healthcare as a right, human right. Needs to, yeah. It's it's biggest belief that that Biden is still is so um, opposed to it. It's just, uh, but I mean, he won't be able to resist the tide of uh, of, of opinion. I think. Yeah. Well, not, not think the way things are going in the next few weeks, but but yeah, I mean, ho- hopefully, I mean, um, that um, for me personally, at the end of this, I will, I'll have a good big chunk of novel done, and uh, and uh, and maybe have the my this first uh, fantasy novel maybe. done by the end of the year. When when That's can the, when can I get an early draft to help to 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 or, or something to just give my thoughts on it? Uh it will be done when it's done, Grasshopper. <laughs> Um, hopefully, maybe in when I mean, what did what where are we now in April? So, well, maybe by next April, if I if I go at it with uh, with all due speed and attention, it'd be nice to actually get it done in time for for EasterCon next year. If there is an EasterCon, you know what an EasterCon is, don't you? Sci-fi um, or book author thing. Yeah, EasterCon is like the 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 British National um, Annual Convention, and it's huh. always held at Easter. And um, this year it was going to be at the Birmingham Metropole uh, Hotel, but obviously they've had to cancel it. Yeah. <coughs> they might have rescheduled it for, for basically for there'll be one next year. Actually, at the Metropole, the Birmingham Metropole again. So were they insured so for that? That act of God. Um, I don't know what the what the what the situation was. Um, because they they'd already sold um, quite a few memberships, but um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the situation is. But I mean, I don't think that the the I don't think that uh, that. Sorry, I don't think the. Oh, are you gone? No, no. It's just I, I stopped the video because my data's getting a wee bit low. All right. Okay. You can you can stop. Yeah, I think that yeah. the, the the people who are running the Eastercon aren't 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 being hurt by it. Okay, that's, that's, that's not what I've heard. Um, I think maybe the hotel's trying is being understanding about it. So, but uh, hopefully, if if we can get through this thing with with sense and, and reason, then maybe next 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 uh, Easter that we'll, we will have an Easter con that we can all go to without you know taking our lives in our hands, basically that kind of thing. I could get a few podcasts out down there if I went down something like that. But the trouble is, we go to conferences. Yes, people yes. are so busy. Oh yeah, but I mean, when writers are never too busy to speak to you, really. <laughs> this is what really? we this, we love to we love a lot of us we love to hear the sound of our own voice. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's after eight, man. Are we are we done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 Michael. So yeah, hopefully we'll uh, get a chance to meet up in person when when Scotland uh, stops being uh, locked down. And uh, yeah, thank yeah. you for your time. Appreciate it. No worries, man. I'll, I'll, we'll be in touch by by all manner of uh, communication uh, avenues. I've no doubt. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks, my listener. That was Michael Cobley, esteemed 
a sci-fi author and also fantasy author. And uh, I'll leave a link to the, his website on the show notes. And uh, thanks for your time. See you soon on Influencers Cafe. And see you, Mike. Cheers then, Nicholas.